0: Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most. To help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete
1: Timms. And I'm Tristram Peters. I work for disability service directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy.
0: Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is growing bold and overcoming adversity. And our guest is Queensland's first quadriplegic doctor, and he's also Queensland's 2021 Australian of the Year, Dr. Dinesh Palapana. In this episode, we'll discover just how Dinesh became a quadriplegic, the effect it had on his family, why he fled back to his native country, Sri Lanka, and what drove him to come back and finish his medical degree and become a doctor. Dinesh, welcome to the Grow Bowl with Disability. Hello. How are you?
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks
1: for joining us. So, uh, Dinesh, let's start um, with your accent. Um, What happened on the night of January 31, 2010? I was uh, driving back from visiting my parents.
2: I used to live on the Gold Coast where I was going to medical school and they lived in Brisbane. So, I visited them that weekend as I often did and I was driving back at about 8.30pm that night. It was one of those days uh, where it was raining through the day and the roads were a little bit wet. There was also a bunch of road works that were happening uh, along the highway intermittently. Anyway, I came up to this particular stretch of highway and I saw this little black slick or something on the road. But by the time I came up to it, it was too late to avoid it and I hit it. And as soon as I hit it, my car lost control, and it started spinning and spinning, and then it went up an embankment, came back off the embankment, and then it started spinning through the air, nose to tail. Um, and yeah, it was it was one of the most uh, violent experiences I've ever had. It was just mm. it was wild. And um, when the car landed, I tried to get out, and I realised I couldn't move. And my fingers weren't working anymore. I tried to open the door and uh, they they just weren't obeying my commands. And then I put my hand on my leg and I couldn't feel my leg. So that was uh, when I realized what had happened. So
0: you were two years into your medical degree what was what was your first initial thought because obviously you're a bit more advanced with this sort of stuff than the normal person did you realize that you were either paraplegic or quadriplegic? you broke your spine
2: yeah yeah I, i knew straight away and um it's it's a funny thing because when you i mean you think about it medically but then you just come back to being a normal person you know and you you're just you're just scared and terrified and uh You just know that your life's changed forever. And it's – I can't really explain that thought. It's just one of those really horrifying, sickening thoughts um, and feelings.
1: Absolutely. And so tell us about um, your recovery and rehab. Um, You know, how how did you start that and um, what progress you made? I
2: was – I went to the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane and I was there for seven or eight months in total Mm. and I hated it. It, it, It's so funny you saying that because I work as a doctor in a hospital every single day. (laughs) But but I hate being a patient and I I, I hated being a patient then. I think one of the reasons is that uh, you're so disempowered. You know, you... Mm suddenly and i understand the reason for needing um some sort of routine but i didn't get to choose when i went to bed when i woke up when i ate when i had a shower um and and a lot of that was dictated through the day for about 8 months um and and it was a really uh difficult thing But after a period of time, you become institutionalized. And I was scared to be discharged from the hospital by that point because um, I just uh, was used to that routine and I was used to the security of the hospital and security of that and this new life. But Mm. um, it was a hard process physically because initially I couldn't speak a full sentence like this. um, Wow. Because spinal cord injury. Yeah, because your lung function is really affected with a high-level spinal cord injury. I mean, you see guys with ventilators. But um, for me, my lung function is affected as well. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while before I could speak a full sentence like this. Previously, I just had to stop, take a breath, stop, take a breath, and speak again. I was on oxygen for a long period of time. Um, so it uh, took a while. For me to even get basics like that, and to be to learn to be upright again, took a while as well. Um, I initially was just passing out every time I sat up, so it was just going on this tilt table and learning to be upright and just incremental steps, you know. And even eating, um, I was only on this jelly for a period of time. Mm. And then finally, the speech therapist said, "Okay, you can you can eat some solids." And uh, I had a steak; it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's just go back a little before the accident.
0: Where were you in life now? As far as I know, you have you've got a law degree. You're halfway through a medical degree. You're on the path to being a very successful you know, young man. Where, where were you in life? Were you ha- was everything happy? And then, bang, this happened. Or
2: yeah, you know, I um. I never grew up wanting to be a doctor. So oh. I, when I finished <laughs> go. school, I yeah, exactly. I just wasn't one of those guys that, you know, grew up wanting to be a doctor, always wanted to be a doctor. Oh, I just wasn't. And um, I finished school and went to study law. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't really have a particular passion. And I think law was just a, um, you know, it was just something that I thought would be good doing. Mm-hmm. But I became depressed and I ended up finding my way into medicine, which I absolutely loved. Like I I knew um, from the moment I started that it was just where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it was just, you know, I found my passion in medicine and life was really good. Mm. I just before the accident, I used to wake up and I, I live on the Gold Coast and just look up and see the ocean and the sun and everything that was happening. Mm. Um, And I I just loved life. I was thankful for it every single day. So I was at this point where I felt like life was at a peak Mm. and everything was perfect. Mm. Yeah. And that's where I was.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously it was such a life-changing experience what did the future hold in regard to your medical medical degree when did you um, at what point did you realize you can go back to your studies and, and continue that career path um,
2: you know there's a lot of people that said that I couldn't be a doctor mm. anymore um, and I remember being um, I remember being in uh, the hospital and all these people were coming and going and some of them were supportive, but um, there was a lot that said you can't be a doctor anymore. You should find something else to do and you'd never be able to finish your clinical rotations, never be able to finish med school, um, all that kind of mm. stuff. And um, even even one of my close friends, a uh, couple of my close friends actually, they're like, hey, what, what, uh, why do you want to do this? It's going to be really hard. Uh, we care about you, you should probably think about something else to do rather than go back to med school. And I had this interesting conversation with a doctor who was a, who worked in the hospital where I was a patient after the spinal cord injury. And he said, man, you know, when you, when you were a patient there, I remember having this meeting and uh, we were talking about, hey, this guy wants to go back to med school. And all these people from around the table, the doctors said, oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, there's no way that can happen. <laughs> so the, there was a lot of that. But fortunately, I had enough people that said, um, you know, let's let's give this a try. Yeah, amazing.
0: Now, this accident had a big f- effect on your family as well. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, and a lot of accidents and a lot of injuries and a lot of illnesses do. I work uh, I work in the ED as a doctor at the moment and it's all the time I see families that have fallen apart because of something like this happening. Mm. Um, I see so many single parents come through with their kids or whatever, um, marriage is falling apart. So I think when a significant incident like this happens in someone's life, Uh, it really tests the relationships and the bonds that you have. For me, my mom, she's always been one of the most important people in my life. She's taught me so much and helped me with so much. So she really stuck around and she's been there for me every single day since this happened. So we're 10 years down the track now. Mm -hmm. Mm. But um, it, it wasn't so for the rest of my family, you know, I think my Dad found it really hard. I started seeing him less and less and I haven't seen him for, you know, years now. Wow. Um, And that's, I guess that's just the way people handle things and him and my mom split and got divorced. Um, but I had other family members as well, like distant family members that I haven't seen for a long time. And uh, it's... Not because of any particular conflict or anything, but uh, um, I don't know, I think it just it just tests people, you know And mm-hmm. I think the, what I've learned through this time is that uh, blood doesn't necessarily make family. I've met I met so many people and there, there are people that have only known me after the spinal cord injury. Um, who might've never seen me walking and Mm. they've been there for me and they've, um, helped me through some hard times and I count them as family now. Mm. So I think you make the family on this planet, um, and families is who sticks by you. Mm. Nice.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the other aspect of, um, disability that often isn't mentioned and obviously your, um, Accent predates the NDIS is the massive financial toll um, that you can have in terms of getting accessible cars, power chairs, and that must have been a, a big challenge as well at the time. Yeah, absolutely. The financial toll is huge, um,
2: you know, and, and it was pre-NDIS, so uh, things were a bit different then. And a lot of this equipment costs a lot. Um, like I use a power-assisted wheelchair and the wheels that go on in the power system ones, they're like $12,000 or something. Wow. Seating itself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the seating itself is $7,000. And I think, uh, when you, when you attach either a medical or a disability label to things, the price just (laughs) (laughs) skyrockets. So, um, you also said at the time of the accident,
0: um, I cared about how the world saw me. I didn't want them to see me in a completely different vulnerable physical state. I always hated being vulnerable. How did you deal with now being so vulnerable after the accident?
2: Oh, this is... Um, I had this eye-opening moment just recently where I saw a little little kid who had a spinal cord injury, um, which, which is tragic. It's, you know, there, there were... Um, they, I think their age was just in the single digits and I was thinking, you know, I I was 25 when this happened, so I'd, uh, (laughs) I had a chance to explore the world, um, you know, hang out with girls and play sport and whatever else and travel, but this little kid hasn't experienced life at all and anyway, um, their mom was telling me that, they didn't look in the mirror for months after this happened. And I was the same. I, d- I didn't look in the mirror for probably a year or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before the accident, I really cared about what I looked like. I, I cared about, you know, I tried, I cared about what I wore and I cared about how my hair looked mm-hmm. and whatever else. And um, I, I never liked being vulnerable to the outside world. So even if I had a cold, I'd usually just close myself away from the world. And I don't know why that is. It was just the way I was. But suddenly after the accident, I was on a bed completely naked uh, (laughs) with tubes coming out of everywhere, Mm. Um, getting help with eating and washing and everything, man. Like that's just – that's complete Mm, vulnerability and emotionally – as well, you're just in this state where you're trying to come to terms with what's happened and you're upset and crying and whatever. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't cry guys. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Uh, we won't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't tell anyone. But, um, it was, so going into that state, it was, uh, I had no choice mm. but to be vulnerable and, um, that was a that was a pretty difficult thing, but it took it took me a long time to start feeling comfortable with the world seeing me again. And in fact, after the accident, I went I went away to Sri Lanka. It's where I, I was born in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. but um, I hadn't been there since we moved here, so it'd been you know decades, like a couple, of, I think fifteen years actually mm-hmm. since being back. So, me and Mum went back to Sri Lanka, and I actually just hid away there for a long time. Because I I just didn't want the world to see me in this different way because your whole body's changed. You're Mm -hmm. you're using a wheelchair now and the the body image thing is a... It's a significant thing to come to terms with. Mm. But... um, these days, I'm back to being my vain, confident self, I think. <laughs>
1: and not crying. <laughs> yeah, and not crying, not crying. Um, and you mentioned um, Sri Lanka there. Was there any sort of epiphany that was had in Sri Lanka? What, what did you find there? What, what did it help you realize?
2: I think it was a good time to heal my soul. Um, I got a chance to hide away a bit and um, I met a bunch of really cool people there started um, getting back out into the world and society. But I also realized how lucky I am to be Australian because uh, in Sri Lanka, I met all these people with a spinal cord injury and I went to a hospital where they had people with spinal cord injury and the resources there are significantly different to what we have mm. and the support systems and the structures and. Whatever else is significantly different as well. So all these people that were having spinal cord injuries were going back out in the community, but they wouldn't survive for that long. They just die, wow. um, and they certainly don't have a chance to get educated or employed. So the the outcomes are really dire. Mm. So I felt super lucky, and I felt um, I think I also felt a duty to make the most of what I have which has kind of driven me till today because i feel you know i thought you know what despite this thing happening i'm still damn lucky and i've mm. got to live a pretty good life so it it gave me a bit of perspective that i think was really valuable
0: yeah yeah definitely so you then decided you wanted to come back and finish a medical degree there would have been a fair few challenges for <laughs> for that to happen what were some of the challenges that were in front of you
2: I think a lot the the challenges were a lot of attitudes, yeah. Uh, because people like, oh, how's this dude who can't use his fingers going to be a doctor? Mm. Um, and even in my head, I had a few thoughts on like, oh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to work this out? How will I? Even doing long days, you know, it's uh, it's it's tricky when, when you. Have a spinal cord injury, and when you need to time certain things and have a routine, mm. um, so it, it can be a bit tricky. Um, but I just thought, I remember I had a chat to two close friends, right? And um, I remember these two conversations really well. I told one of them, You know, I'm gonna go back to medical school and give it a go, and he said, Man, stuff that you will go and win, like going with the attitude that you're going to go and win. Like none of this giving it a go or whatever. Yeah. I was like, all right, all right. Whoa, whoa. All right. And, um, I had a conversation with another close friend of mine. I said, you, you just need to treat this like you're an athlete, um, like you're an Olympic athlete. So you need to have your training routine, so to speak, mm-hmm. and have that same level of commitment and do it. And that, that's the attitude I ended up taking. Mm. So, um, I went in and I figured out, uh, the med school was pretty supportive and they let me sit in this lab and figure out how I'm going to do things, how I'm going to hold a stethoscope, how I would put a cannula in someone, which I was able to do. I didn't think wow. I'd be able to do it, but yeah. with a bit of help, I figured out how to do it. Um, and, um, <laughs> there are things like rectal and vaginal exams, which I can't do. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think that's a perk of <laughs>
1: <Uh-oh>.
2: <laughs> so um the, those those things I I uh you know, it it's tricky. I love how you use it to remain tricky. Yeah I can't yeah, I exactly. can't do that. No, him, I can't man. do that. <laughs> yeah. There's always I a silver lining. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, ho- hopefully
2: no one uh, no one cottons on to the fact that <laughs> I usually don't say I can't do stuff, but this particular <laughs> thing. Yeah, sorry.
1: Um, so, in terms of overcoming these challenges that, that you mentioned, how how did this make you feel? Given what you'd experienced over the past couple of years, what what relief or what feelings did you have when you were overcoming them?
2: Uh, it was awesome, you know, like like the. T- I remember the moment I put that cannula in like it's something that people do every single day Mm. but it just felt like I'd walked on the moon um, (laughs) because it's such a big step Um, and it was so satisfying Uh, and just recently actually um, with one of my bosses I learned how to suture Um, again with a bit of help but um, uh, I learned how to suture and again that was just like we, we sat back after and like you know, that's probably the first time it's ever been done in the world Yeah. by a doctor with a spinal cord injury. I'm like, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> Kicking goals. <isn't> so.
1: nice. <laughs> have you ever um, worked alongside some of those doctors who said that you wouldn't be able to go back to medicine? Have you ever rubbed shoulders with them? Yeah. Posts? You have?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I have. And uh, it's – it's um, – it, it's a it's, uh, – there was this particular one, right, when I was a medical student. And they said, uh, I don't – they kicked up a heap of fuss when I came back. And they said, I, I don't think patients would take you seriously and, um, you know, w- would uh, – like all, all this kind of stuff. And I really wasn't looking forward to it because I had to do some time with them. Um, but after I finished, they said, well – you're one of the best medical students I ever had. Wow. And, um, just to, just to hear that, you know, it's, uh, there's, there was also another doctor that was terrifying, right? He, he, um, he's one of those (laughs) intimidating, confident guys, amazing doctor, but, um, he, he generally scared people and I was very (laughs) scared. And, um, I was one of his junior doctors through this rotation and when I finished it, he sat me down and he said, you know, um, I'm a little bit ashamed of what I thought at the start because I had so many concerns about how this would work and whether, whether, whether we could make it happen and how you'd go. But, um, now I sit here and my idea of what medicine can look like has changed Mm. Wow, And to have that moment where this guy was being honest and um, sharing that, I just thought this whole thing has been worthwhile, Mm. even just for that one conversation.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Well, actually, while you were studying, there was the Medical Deans of Australia and New Zealand um, tried to push. Well, they're creating a policy, uh, policy document that closes the door for medical students with Different ranges of challenges, you know, be it sensory, motive, you know, psychological, auditory, you know, sort of
2: issues. Why are they trying to do that? What are they scared of? I don't know why that happened. I remember it was in 2015, just after I came Mm. back to med school. The most annoying part of that whole thing was I saw this email that was shared with me from a guy that was on that org committee uh, that wrote the policy and that email. Um, and this guy knows me as well. Um, and, uh, he wrote in this email that this policy should allow us the legal protection to exclude someone with a disability from studying medicine or exclude someone already in medicine with a disability from continuing or something along those lines. Wow. And that just annoyed the hell out of me. And it also yeah. hurt. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's like um, I get it, it's, it's all those things like racism or whatever, when you're attacked for something that you can't change about yourself. Mm. Um, it, it's pretty hurtful. Uh, so I, I don't know how that came about. and But the nice thing is um, I've been a part of the process and I've been able to give – input to the committee that's rewriting that policy Mm. to be more inclusive. And that's going to come out this year, hopefully, or next
1: year. Good work. And so on that, we've spoken about changing other doctors' perceptions and and that for when you graduated from medical school in 2016, what was the response from the actual patients? How how did they, um, uh, you know, what was their reaction to, to being treated by yourself?
2: This is the coolest thing. (laughs) <laughs> not once has a patient said anything negative ever Wow! and that i think is so damn cool because I, I i didn't even expect that you know i thought maybe at least once someone will say hey what the hell are you doing here or like something i don't know <laughs> yeah but um I've, I've never had that response and every single person has been so positive and supportive and um i've had uh patients who've had disabilities come in and say, you know, I'm really glad that you're my doctor because I know you'd understand. And mm. I've had um, interaction with patients who are uh, parents even who, who's had kids going through significant medical issues or disabilities. And they just said, you know, seeing you there as a doctor now after having gone through what you've gone through gives me hope for my kid mm. and that, that kind of stuff, has been really special to me, mm. um, and despite all this hardship that we've gone through and the challenges, I think it's it's those things that make it worthwhile. You know, it's not it's not uh, the it's not the medical stuff and the tangible, all those things. It's, it's the intangible, those special moments that make make it worthwhile.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Now, one last question. Oh, actually, we've got two last questions. I'll let Trish do the last one, but I'll ask you this one. <laughs> what do you like most about being a
2: doctor? Ah, oh, it's, you know, I, I think it's the best job in the world mm. for me. <laughs> uh, I, I, I love everything about it. I love the people most of all. You know, I, like I said, those moments that you have where you connect with people and you you play a part in their journey and you share that special moment um where yeah it, it, it's just awesome but there are a lot of other things about it that I like as well it's challenging it's unpredictable um it's varied you know I, d- I don't do the same thing every single day um and you, you really I feel like I'm doing something where I can just help the community which which is a really it's a privilege mm. so I love all those things yeah, fantastic.
1: Brilliant. I love it. So Dinesh, as you know our podcast is called Grow Bold with Disability. We always like to ask our guests what does growing bold mean to you?
2: Ah, oh, wow, that's a, that's a big question. Gets gets them every time. And don't you cry. Yeah. <laughs> um is it to uh you know what i i think it's really about we have so many barriers in our heads right uh it we have fears wh- whether it's um whatever fear it might be and we have so many barriers in society and, and and you don't you don't necessarily have to have a disability but it's more pronounced when you do you, you have all these fears and you have all these barriers and whatever else i think being bold is about having the courage to face those fears and to push through it to live the life you want. I think that's boldness. Mm-hmm. I think it's not thinking about your own fears and it's not thinking about everyone else's fears. And to be living the life you want, to do something valuable and to give something back, I think that's being bold. And I think we, we all need to be doing that.
0: Fantastic. Well, Dinesh, thank you so much for joining us here today on Grow Bold with Disability, brought to you by Ferros Care. And our listeners can find out more about Dr. Palapana in the links provided in today's episode show notes. Mate, thank you so much. That was such a great chat. Thanks, Doctor. Cheers. Thanks so much, guys. I really enjoyed it. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services, in Queensland, South Australia, and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold. And for over 30 years, Ferros has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.